As most of you know, I travel a lot, work in television, sports, and we kicked off this football season, uh, and they had booked a 6 a.m. flight at the Memphis airport, and I don't know if you, I, have, I don't normally book 6 a.m. flights. Um, but I got up there, usually hour, hour and a half is enough time to get there, but I got there that day, and the line for TSA and the x-ray machine was all the way from concourse B all the way into concourse A. And I'm sitting there in the line with this guy, and he says, uh, I don't know why we even have these x-ray machines. And I said, well, I, th I think it's probably just to discriminate against people with braces and uh, hip replacements. And then uh, I said, no, I, th I think it's to make sure we don't uh, get bombs on the plane, which, which is a good thing. Because we've seen what happens when, uh, when bombs explode. I mean, we've watched Israel the last uh, couple of months. You've seen the Ukraine for the last two years. Um, even Oppenheimer, the movie, came out where you saw what the big uh, nuclear bombs did. 250,000 innocent people uh, largely killed uh, in just a matter of, of seconds. Um, thankfully, we haven't seen many bombs on the planes lately, but unfortunately, a lot of people are carrying bombs all the time that a metal detector can't pick up and that can do maybe even more damage. Um, an emotional bomb is what I'm talking about. And there may be bombs that go off every day where you are when somebody's temper shows up. Maybe it's yours. And maybe it hurts people that we care about deeply. Uh, I'm pretty well in a willing to bet that there's not a person in this room that hasn't been hurt by somebody else's anger. And there's probably not a person in this room who hasn't hurt somebody else with their anger. And let me tell you, I got a front row seat to that. Forget front row seat. I've, I'm center stage on that a lot. And uh, I'm ashamed to say, um, you know, it almost destroyed my marriage a while back and uh, some good relationships. So this morning, we're going to continue our series called A Man and His Battle, and we're going to talk about anger. And I think maybe some, uh, hopefully some people can relate, and it's not just me, but I want to share what God has used to diffuse my time bomb of anger, and also what God showed me about where anger comes from and the damage that it does. And what I'm telling you is nothing that you don't know already. I'm just reinforcing it, and I'm sharing how God used that in, in my life. To do this, I don't know if you remember the story. Jesus and his disciples had just gotten in the boat. The storm comes. They go, what's going on? Why are you sleeping, Jesus? And that's where he calms the seas. And the very next scene is they're over across Lake Tiberias, or we call it the Sea of Galilee these days, um, at a place called Gerasenes. And it says in Mark 5, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. 
Ever felt that way? Is that not just a perfect description of what anger feels like to be out of control? Maybe, you, maybe I'm alone on that. Filled with a destructive force that you couldn't control, maybe towards a friend, a parent, a boss, sibling. I ran into a veteran high school teacher over 30 years of teaching, and I love it when you, you see somebody who's been in the system in that long, and I say, you have, you have obviously seen some changes. What, what's the biggest change you've seen over your almost 40 years here? And I was expecting her to say something along the lines of, well, technology. Used to, we use these things called textbooks. Now it's all tablets um, or something like that. But you know what she said? Is anger. Kids' anger. They'll just, they'll just bust up over, over anything. And the anger in their relationships, anger in their music, anger in the movies. Help me out here for a second. A little uh, Q&A. Finish this sentence. Just a couple of you shouted out. One reason people are angry inside. Help me out. What do you think? One, one reason people are angry inside. Make you think a little this morning. Fear. Fear. Okay. That's good. What else? Frustrated. Frustrated. What a pride. Not getting what I want, right? Yeah, those are those are a lot of the same things came in. Un unfairness, pain from the past, not getting my way, unreasonableness. Maybe some of these things set you off too. And so I want us this morning to do some thinking about uh, how to diffuse what's ticking inside. I want to share a little bit of my story. Um and so I will. Um, early in our marriage, for Penny and I, my anger really became very real. I'm going to be transparent. But when I couldn't get my way, this anger would just boil up seemingly out of nowhere. Um, it, and it, it was. It was like a rage uh, of the man in the tombs. Where, where was it coming from? Anger was a great teacher for me. Uh, taught me how to repair sheetrock <laughs> from holes in the wall. Uh, it taught me how to repair lamps, for lamps that were knocked off tables. I mean, it was this anger that I don't know where it came from. And it was arguments over stupid stuff. You know what I mean? Ultimately, this anger would result in a knock on the door one day as I'm headed out to Denver Broncos training camp. And it's a constable, and he says, are you Curtis Martin? I said, yeah. He said, here, this is for you. And handed me a stack of papers that basically said, Penny didn't want to be married to an insane, out-of-control guy anymore. She wasn't there. And I, it was literally an hour before a flight. And so it was me and my thoughts and the fact that this woman that I loved couldn't put up with it anymore. And right then and there, I said, I'm not calling my friends or my pastor. I said, all right, God, you got my attention. It's you and me all week while I'm here. And I turn on Christian talk radio just to see if God would speak through a preacher. And I'd crack open the book. I even went to a bookstore and bought a, a book on anger management. And the whole time I'd go out and I'd shoot the Broncos and I'd come back to the hotel and just immerse myself, right? So I want to share some of the things that God taught me during that week. Um, I asked the question, where's this anger coming from? And he gave me two answers. 
In the first one, which is not too far-fetched, is it came from the enemy of God. Ephesians 6 says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. That means if you can cut it and it bleeds, that's not what you're fighting against. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but it says it's against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil. The enemy of God wants to destroy our marriages, and he wants to destroy our families. And there's a reason for that. Think about it. The only place you see the kind of love that God provides, that would be unconditional, will love you always, is in the marriage relationship, till death do we part, and in a parent-child relationship where you say, yeah, I may not like what you're doing, but I love you. And if the enemy of God can destroy any evidence of us seeing what unconditional love is like, then maybe we won't ever learn what that's like from him. So the enemy of God is at work. Am I, am I saying that when I'm angry, I'm full of a legion of demons like this guy in the tombs? Not necessarily. I think there's a good argument for being made that you can be made about if Christ is in you, a demon can't reside in you. But is the enemy of God working to make it where we're not connected with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis and thus able to control things? Yeah, you bet he is. But it's not all the devil made me do it. The second thing he taught me is it's just good old-fashioned fashion, where does anger come from? It's good old-fashioned selfishness and sin. James asks, and he answers the question in James 4, 1 through 3, what causes fights and quarrels among you? That's what he asked. That's what I was asking. Where's this coming from, Lord? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. Sometimes it's not the devil made us do it. Sometimes it's all about me, and i got to have my rights. You've been there. I'm not the only one, I hope. I remember a conversation I had with Jonathan who was helping us sort through some tension, and I told him that my wife said, what my wife had said to me didn't make any logical sense. I know you've never been there. And I was absolutely correct. And I had a very solid argument. I'm a good debater, and I'm black and white, and I knew what I was saying was right, and hers was just based off of feelings. And he said, Curtis, you may be right. You may be absolutely correct in your arguments, but ultimately, it may be about giving up your right to be right if you want to resolve this. And I was going, what? That's not fair. Who, who does that? And of course, it's Jonathan. He said, Jesus, let's look at Philippians 2, please. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking only to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. And here's the motivation. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in a human likeness, 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross. Selflessness versus selfishness. And God shows me those were the two things that were kind of at the heart of anger. All right, let me, help, help me out one more time here. One kind of damage that I've seen anger do. It doesn't have to be that you did, but one kind of damage I've seen anger do. Anybody? Ah, destroy the intimacy. Wow. Intimacy. Yes. Emotional, physical, and everything else under the sun. Any, anything else? Damage? Health? Yeah. I mean, there are all kinds of studies out about heart attacks and heart health because of anger and stress. Well, I got bad news and then the good news, because you don't know how good the good news is until you know how bad the bad is, right? And the bad news is the anger bomb does so much damage. You remember when Jesus talked about counting the cost? He said, you're going to build this tower over here? Well, make sure you got enough money to build it all the way and not just the foundation, because people are going to laugh at you if you just get that built and you run out of money. And he also said about uh, if you go out to fight, make sure Count the men they have and count the men you have. If you've only got 10,000, they got 20,000, you're going to have to think about that. Count the cost before you make the decision. We've got to count the cost before we let this anger unroll, right? So there are three things that anger does damage-wise, and anger damages the people around you. I think I'm not telling you any new information there. Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. It injures the people we're talking to. It's like a volcano. That first explosion comes up, but the 800-degree molten lava comes over the sides, and that's what does the damage. That's what leaves the emotional scars on the DVRs of people's hearts that they'll replay. That's what um, makes people feel little. I mean, I'm sure you can probably go back and think to the 7th or 8th grade, something somebody said to you that was really mean, even all these years later. It destroys families, it destroys friendship. The second thing is your anger diminishes you. Proverbs 19, 19 says, a hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. It affects us. It's like that volcano blowing away a part of itself. We lose respect from others. We lose trust. We're smaller in the eyes of everyone who's involved. So it damages those around you. It, it diminishes who you are. And then this is probably the thing that surprised me the most in real life is anger takes us to places we never thought we would go. Look, look at the, the two firstborn, Cain and Abel. They didn't, they, they were offerings. Their, one, one was a, a produce guy like Marvin and one was a, the, the butcher worked the fields and, and worked the cows, and they brought their sacrifices in, and Cain's wasn't good enough. And it says in Genesis 4 through 5, Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, hey, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So Cain says to his brother, hey, brother, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Cain was angry and he killed his brother. I wonder if when he got up that morning, if he had any idea that his anger would take him to killing his brother. 
There's a lot of damage anger can do. Proverbs 25, 28 refers to a man who doesn't have self-control like a city that doesn't have walls. Anything can get in. A moment of rage can equal a lifetime of regret. Anger eats you up inside. It's like an emotional leprosy. Okay, one last audience question. And this is where we have some practical stuff. You can tell I'm angry when what? Help me out here. Think back to when you've been angry. You can tell that I'm angry when I get very quiet. I shut it up. I can tell I get angry when my heartbeat picks up. I can, I can tell I get angry with the expression on my face. You know when you're getting angry. You know when somebody's triggered you. It's like the light that comes on your, on your dashboard, you know, big red. It's a warning. Something's about to happen unless I deal with this, right? So there are four things you can do with anger. You can dump it on someone. That's where I go first, or used to. You can bury your anger. That does a lot of good, stuffing it. It becomes this toxic waste dump. You can surrender to your anger. You can say, ah, I'm redheaded. I, I just get angry. Uh, I, there's nothing I can do about it, you know. But the fourth thing is you can diffuse your anger. And when I was there in Colorado and saying, Lord, what have I got to do to make this right? These are some of the things. And it's not any late-breaking news. You know this. But I'm just, I want to share these with you. If this is a struggle you're having, I want to share this with you as a reminder to when that dashboard light comes on. Here are some things you can do. All right. The good news is we have a choice. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. It's kind of a clear cut, right? Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And here's our motivation. Just as Christ forgave you. So the good news is we have a choice. If we're commanded to do it, it must be possible, right? But the question, obviously, is how? So like the man in the tombs, it may seem like it's impossible. It did for me to control it. I'm going to give you six effective bomb diffusers real quick. Don't worry, it's not a big, long list. The first thing is to get it early. Get it early. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. In your anger, do not sin, which what? tells you you can have anger, that anger is not necessarily sin. That's a whole other sermon. But it says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and give the devil a foothold. Deal with it. Have you ever had the, the dishes that you left in the sink? Had you just washed them off when you were through, just squirted them off? But now you've left it in the sink and it gets hard to get off and it gets dry and it gets crunchy because you've let it go overnight. That's the same with us. He, he was so emphatic about that. Jesus in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, one of the first things he comes up with in chapter five, he says, hey, if you're bringing a gift to the altar because you want to say, we love you, Lord, and, and you know somebody has something against you, he says, hang on, just leave your gift there for a minute. Go make it right with them 
and then come back and offer it. It's so important to Jesus, this practicalness of getting rid of it early. Second thing, and I think this is one of the most important, and it's very self-explanatory, listen a lot. This is where men fall short all the time. James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And we get it absolutely backwards, don't we? We're quick to get angry, we're quick to speak, and we're really slow to listen. And then we're surprised when the conversation heads south. So let's think about what listening is for a minute. To listen, you ask questions to understand. You hold your reaction to what they're saying. You ask the question because you genuinely want to understand why they're feeling that way. You, you hold your reaction, and you don't speak until you're absolutely sure you understand. And this is how you listen. This, is, this took me until even a year or two to get, ago to get. You listen to understand, but you don't listen for rebuttal. I would listen to what my wife was saying so I could come up with the next good jab, a good point. But when you're truly listening, you're listening to understand what could be underneath what's going on. Put your agenda aside. Be a reporter. Suspend judgment. Get in their shoes for a minute. Ask open-ended questions. And by the way, don't you know I hate it when you do that? It's not an open-ended question, okay? An open-ended question is more like, hey, what's going on? Tell me why you feel like that. What have I done that's made you feel this way? Those are open-ended questions. And then the real test is can you tell it back to the person you're angry with in their own words? If you've been listening, you can tell them back in their own words. So what you're saying to me is, when I spend all this time on the golf course, you feel like I don't want to be with you. And all of a sudden, it goes from a battle zone to uh, he understands me. And then, if you're really listening, you validate. And you can just, a simple sentence like, you know, I can see how you might feel that way. I understand. And all of a sudden, that opens the door for communication because you've listened. And when it is finally time to talk, run it through the Ephesians 4.29 filter. Let nothing unwholesome come out of your mouth, only that which is good for building up others according to their needs. Is what I'm going to say going to be unwholesome when it comes out of my mouth? If it is, not time to talk yet. Is it going to build her up or build this person up? Okay, yeah, I, I can say that. And a, a helpful phrase to do that is when you do finally want to express your feelings, because you've got to talk about it, you say, when you do this, it makes me feel like this. You're not attacking the person at that point. When you text on your phone while I'm talking to you, it makes me feel like you're not listening. You haven't said, you never listen to me. You see the difference in those two? The tongue is powerful. It's compared in James to tiny ships 
a tiny rudder on a ship and a tiny spark that starts a forest fire. Listen to this verse. This is very convicting to me. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth came praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Barrett had his birthday one night at youth group, and I had brought in this big thing of chocolate pudding with Oreos on top for his birthday. And then I asked Luke, I said, hey, Luke, would you take this cup and go dip some toilet water out? Don't, don't touch your fingers. I mean, just dip some toilet water out and bring it back. And he brought it back in. And I took a spoon and I just put it in the, in the toilet water and we talked some more about some stuff. And I said, hey, by the way, it's Barrett's birthday. Barrett, I got you a, uh, some pudding with Oreos on top. And I pulled the spoon out of the toilet water and said, here you go. Happy birthday, buddy. And he didn't want to take it. I said, why do you want to take it? He said, well, the spoon's been in the toilet water. Out of the same mouth come praise to God and us tearing up other people. And James just said, this should not be. The tongue is very powerful in how we use it. Third thing is take a time out. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Take time to cool down. Act instead of react. The strongest weapon we have in our arsenal is what? What did that just say? A gentle answer turns away wrath. And if you can take a time out during an argument, it can do a lot for your communication. But let me tell you what you need to do and don't do, or what I found that works and doesn't work in taking a time out. You know, I'm... I work a lot with sports television, and I, I do most of the positions, but lately I've been doing a replay, you know, rocking the foot back and forth. Is it in? Is it out? Is it in? Is it out? And one of the things, we clip every play of every game, and we label it so we can go back, and if Dak Prescott's having a great game, they'll say, give me a package on Dak Pres Prescott, and you'll find three or four good touchdown passes and put them together. But the other thing is if a game is close, at the end of the game, the producer almost always will say, hey, go back to the first quarter and get that missed field goal and that pick six and the, and the fumble and put, put all that together. And as you're going into this final type match, you're replaying all the errors that happened. When we take a timeout, stay out of the replay room. Don't go back and think, oh, I should have said this when she said this. And replay back, because all that's going to do is just going to fuel your fire. When you take that time out, take a time out. Stay out of the replay room and instead talk to God. Be angry at him. I am so mad right now, Lord. I could just, and, and tell him he's big enough to take it. Show me what's going on with me. We went on the middle school trip to the Okoe this year. We had this new kid, never been on any trips with us, and I don't know who did the rooming arrangements, but they took the most hyper kid on the trip, they took the old fat guy, they took the preacher, and they took this kid who'd never been on any trip, and they put us all four in a room together. I'm thinking, this kid is never coming back. And you know how middle school students will be, pranks and all that kind of stuff. I'm falling asleep. And all of a sudden, doo, 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 doo. there's some knock on the door. My bunk's right by the door, and I literally reach up and open it up. And the kid scurried off, close the door, go back to sleep. 
somebody's knocking on the door. Okay, this time I'm starting, starting to get a little agitated, and I open the door, and nobody's there. Start falling back asleep. One more time. This sounds like a joke. It's not. This really happened. I open the door, and nobody's there. And I'm thinking, all right, with the pranks, we get it, enough. And as I'm starting to fall back asleep, I hear the kid on the top bunk whisper to Jonathan and say, hey, record him this time if he does it. (laughs) And what had been happening that I didn't realize is that I have the gift, spiritual gift of snoring, apparently very loud. And the kid on the top bunk found out that if you beat on the wall, it wakes him up, wakes me up, and it stops the snoring. Here I was, I was, I was totally mad at these junior high pranksters that weren't even out there, and I didn't realize I was the one at fault. <laughs> when you take a time out, pray that prayer that David did. Lord, reveal to me any, un, any way in me that is wicked. Show me where I'm at fault. Even if they've got 90% of it, Lord, show me my 10%. Because you can take that 10% and you can apologize for that. So when you take a time, and by the way, one cautionary note on timeouts, don't use it as an escape. Okay, well, we're taking a timeout then. No, you've never heard that. Because that's not really a timeout. That's just I'm I'm tired of arguing. Um, Finally, last couple of things here. Look for wounds. The people who are doing the hurting have probably been hurt Hurt people, hurt people. Loved people, love people. Luke 6.31 basically says, put yourself in their shoes. Treat them like you would like them to do for you. Understand the anguish behind their anger. Number five is disarm the trigger. The pain, the wound inside that started the anger fills up our glass so we have no room for anything else to frustrate us. You don't have to answer this one outside. Way down deep inside, I think I'm carrying a lot of anger because that may be something that needs to be unpacked. And there's no shame in seeking a counselor or a pastor to help discover what that trigger is. When you get up in the morning, there's a reason you go to the mirror, and it's to look and see what's out of place, what you need to fix. That's all a counselor is, asking some questions to help you see what's out of place and maybe causing that anger. I'm sure Jonathan, Hunter, anybody could aim you at something, but it may be time to, to deal with the, uh, the pain that's been going on for a long time because until it's taken care of, you'll continue to hurt people. But none of these five do very much any good without this last one. To disarm the anger is go to the peace giver. That man in the tombs may not have been able to control himself, but Jesus was able to control him. Jesus can touch what is out of control and bring peace to it. The end of that story says, the end of the beginning says, when, Je- when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. And actually the scripture said it was the demons that drove him towards Jesus. Maybe it's your anger that will drive you towards Jesus. Jesus 
sent the anger that that man couldn't control out of him into a bunch of pigs that went down the hill and all drowned. And he was full of peace. Pig farmers, on the other hand, probably not so happy. But the end of the account says that because of his encounter with Jesus, he was a different man. People didn't even recognize him. Like you, that fire burns inside, and your angry moments are just symptoms of a greater fire. When I was 12, Mount St. Helens was in the news. You remember that in, in Washington? It was about to erupt. They spent two or three months talking about it going to erupt. And there was this man, his name was actually Harry S. Truman. He wasn't the president, but he and his wife had owned a lodge on the side of Mount St. Helens for 40 years. I'll never forget seeing the story on this. And he had had all the warnings that this thing was going to erupt. People were evacuating and he wouldn't leave. His sister even tried to bribe him with, you know, top shelf whiskey to come on, let's go. But he had been there and he was going to ride it out because he knew the helicopters from the news stations would just pull him out. I remember seeing the story because that didn't happen. Here was a guy who had fought in wars, survived World War I, but ended up with all of his cats under 100 feet of molten mud and lava. Dead, obviously. But it wasn't the fire that killed the man. It was his refusal to do what it took to escape the fire. I'd hate for us to make the same mistake with the fire inside of us. Anger, bitterness, revenge, it's all just symptoms of the real darkness that's there. Paul said in what I consider one of the most relatable verses in the Bible, for I do not do, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin, sin living in me. And then he said, but I see another law at work in me, waging against the law of my mind and making a prisoner of the law of sin. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Sin's got a death penalty, which Jesus paid himself. That's why he's got this awesome name, Savior. He can save us from the fire that's inside of us. I've seen that happen. From the fire of an eternity away from God. But the key is you've got to let the peace giver into your heart. You've got to give him control of this anger. The guilt of all the people you've hurt, the pain from all the people who have hurt you, isn't it time that we bring that sin to the great forgiver? After being served those divorce papers, spending a week talking to God, I went up to the top of the mountain. Moses went up to the mountain to meet God for the Ten Commandments. The transfiguration happened on the top of the mountain. I was in Colorado. There were mountains. And I climbed up to the, I hiked up to the top of the Flatirons. And by hiked, I mean I drove my car up to the parking lot and then walked the path up to the top of the mountain. And I sat there and asked God to meet me. And I sought him. And when I sought him, he answered. 
And I prayed like David, show me any wicked way in me. And boy, was God able to oblige. (laughs) He showed me how selfish I was, still living life with me as the priority and not him, not my wife. He showed me how I was totally the opposite of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't remember things. He showed me the damage that my tongue and sarcasm had done. He showed me how I had not appreciated or taken care of the gift that he had given me. I was bawling. I was convicted that I was the problem. And how sinful of a man had I become. And I kid you not... As the wind blew just a little bit, and I said, Lord, what do I do with all this? And I had begged him and said, Lord, just, you've got to change me. I can't do this. I am selfish. You're right. And it was just this moment of desperation before the Lord, and I turned to this in the Bible. I've heard it before, but I'd never actually read it on the paper. And this is where I think the Holy Spirit led me. Isaiah 53, 5. This is what stood out on the page. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Hey, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. He didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he didn't open his mouth. That's what God was hitting me in the face with. And I I flipped some more and I said, Lord, what have you got for me? And it landed on the story of the prodigal son. The story of a guy who was so selfish that he wished his dad were dead so he could take his inheritance and go live the life that he wanted to live. And this is what I read. But when he came to himself, he realized how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. And this is what just broke my heart. It said, but while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and let's put it on it. And put the ring on his hand and the shoes on his feet and kill the fattened fattened calf. And let us celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And I was just a big heap of tears in the middle of God's love. And then something happened that I had never witnessed before and have not witnessed again. All of a sudden on the mountain, this wind just came through the trees and it built and it built. And it was just this terrific wind for about 15 minutes. And then it subsided. It was just like you were in the presence of the Lord. Later, I would learn that the word for spirit in the Bible, ruach, ruach, 
is a word that means wind. I knew that when I had met with him and said, I'm sorry for how I've been, please fix me. I was there and God was saying, I love you. And for the last 13 or 14 years, he's restored our marriage, but it's only because of him. You've, I've got to go back to him every day. It's like the illustration I always give to the kids. I brought it here before. The pure cup of water, if you mix in that food coloring, there's no way for you to separate it out. The only way to get what makes the water dirty out is by putting fresh, clean water in every day. And that's what the Bible calls living by the Spirit. You get up and you go, Lord, today you're in, in control of my tongue and my life and my emotions, and I'm going to live by the Spirit. Apples grow on apple trees. Cherries grow on cherry trees. And the fruit of the Spirit grows in the life of someone who commits his way to him. And the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. The only way we can get back to conquering our anger is let the peacemaker give us peace and conquer it for us and let the Spirit move in us. I just finally challenge you, like the man in the tombs ran to Jesus. If this is something you've been struggling with, do what he did. Fall on his knees and say, Jesus, help me. And watch it happen. I'm, I'm living proof. It's not fixed all the way. But it is, I'm a, like the man at the end of the story, I'm a totally different man from how I was 13 years ago because of uh, Jesus taking that over. So thank you all for your time.